Let's open Holy Scripture this afternoon, first of all, to John chapter 15, where we'll read the first 11 verses. John 15, 1 to 11, and after that we'll read Philippians 3, 8 to 14. So we begin with John 15, verse 1. This is God's word. The Lord Jesus says there, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And then we turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. And there we begin reading at verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So far, the word of God. And now we'll read our confession around which the, the gospel is centered this afternoon. And that's in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 24.
the church has summarized the word of God there as follows. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness so far or confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to the Lord, this afternoon we have another Lord's Day then about our righteousness before God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness becomes ours through faith. And they're like a pure white garment which God gives us through faith and makes us completely right in God's presence. So it's not a question of doing something, you realize, but letting something be done for you. That's what faith is. Faith is letting Christ do it all for you. So what about good works then? Our good deeds, where do they fit in? And now you maybe think, do we really need to go into that? Does it really make much difference how good works fit into with, in with our righteousness before God? There are a lot of Christians today who say it doesn't matter if you're Roman Catholic or Baptist, Pentecostal, Reformed, as long as you're sincere in your faith, it doesn't make much difference what you believe about your righteousness before God, as long as you think Christ is your righteousness. However, what you believe about being made right with God is important. That's because you could think of it as the only rope, so to speak, that can save you from perishing forever. Now, for a rope to save somebody, it has to be a good and strong rope. A search and rescue operation doesn't say, well, rope is rope, so it doesn't matter what kind of rope we use to save people. It does matter, because what if that rope isn't good, is old, thin, frayed, too short? It, would, it wouldn't be good if it was used to pull someone out of a gully or out of a deep water if it was like that. No, a good, strong, long rope is needed and similarly, what we confess about being saved and being made right with God needs to be confessed in a good, biblically strong way. Biblical, in other words. That in the first place. And in the second place, the faith through which we are made righteous before God is not something that comes to us naturally. Being safe by, saved by faith in Christ alone without doing something from our side actually rubs against our own nature. We're so inclined to want to think that we can do at least something, a little wee bit, for our own 
righteousness, to contribute to our own righteousness before God. Our nature is like a big ball on a hill that always wants to roll down. It has to be held back. So with our sinful human nature, it's the same. It always needs to be held back by the truth of the word or it wants to think we can do something to save ourselves. So for those two reasons, it's good to think about our being made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And Lord's Day 24 helps us by asking the same questions the Church of Rome threw at the the Reformed churches at the time of the Reformation already. And those questions are just as relevant today, and I proclaim to you therefore, Lord's Day 24, good works in our righteousness before God. Two things. Good works is not a condition for being made righteous before God, but good works are certainly fruit of being made righteous before God. So first of all, good works are not a condition for being made right with God. What about our good works then, congregation, right? Our repentance, our zeal for the church and for the kingdom of God, our faithfulness in worship on Sundays, our giving for church and deaconry, our helping other people. Can't those good deeds be at least worth something for our righteousness before God? Don't they count at least a little bit at making things right with God, God viewing us positively? The answer of the catechism is sharp. The deeds that can stand before God, the works which would be worth anything for being made right with God, they would have to be absolutely perfect and in full agreement with God's law. And that means perfect not only on the outside, but also in the eyes of of God. Perfect in the eyes of God. And the thing is that God sees not only the outward deeds, he looks at the the motives behind the deeds. Is that good deed done out of pure love and gratitude? Or are there selfish motives behind why he or she does that? Like maybe just to make themselves feel good or, or look better to, before other people? And see, that's what God sees. And remember that in his law, he requires 100% perfection in motive and heart as well as in deed. Now in school, our students knows that, know that something like a certain percentage can be a pass. 51%, let's say, will be a pass. But God is not a school teacher but he's our almighty and holy creator who made us good and perfect. And therefore, he expects perfection from who he created. And even a little fraction of something other than perfect love and gratitude constitutes a failure, is 100% failure. So my good works have to be totally perfect in every respect to contribute anything at all to me being made right with God in any way. But my motives and intentions and and even my best works are always kind of a mixed bag, right? I'm sure that you've mentioned to a neighbor or co-worker that he or she needs Jesus Christ because in the end, we'll have to stand before God's holy throne and give account of ourselves. And you probably heard them say, oh, I'm not worried about that because 
I've always been a, a good person, a nice person, always respected others, tried not to cheat other people, been honest. So I, I think I'll take my chances with God if He's there. Well, according to what we confess from Scripture, those people are totally fooling themselves. They don't know God in His, in his holiness. They don't know the depth of His law. And that's why they're satisfied with how they live. And they don't have any concern about how God sees them. They're trying to think for God. But God is above. God is perfect holy and in God's eyes even the best works we do are all imperfect and tainted with sin even if we donate thousands of dollars to a good cause a deed like that is also tainted with sin with selfish motives with thinking well they, they ought to be looking up to me now so we'll never be able to make our good works even part of how God sees us but that has an amazing flip side because our good works don't even have to be a tiny fraction of our righteousness before God. And that's the beauty of it. Through faith, Jesus Christ is our complete righteousness before God. And we don't have to add a thing to that. And there's not a thing we still can add. There's no condition to that. To that righteousness in Christ it isn't so that you first need to show that you're zealous for his kingdom or that you first need to live a better life or be more sincere or do so many good deeds oh sure all those things should be there too but they're not preconditions they're not conditions you have to meet to some degree or other before you can go to the crucified and risen Lord in order to receive his complete satisfaction righteousness and holiness no you have permission to embrace Jesus Christ without some degree of goodness or an improved life think of the man crucified beside Jesus on Good Friday he had not a thing to offer Jesus at all nothing and that's why he said Lord remember me when you enter your kingdom he knew he needed Jesus And Jesus answered, today you will be with me in paradise. That man was righteous before God in Christ. After all his crimes. The thing is you have to know that you need Jesus Christ and him alone. Like the prophet Isaiah said, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat without money and without price. Without price. No preconditions. You don't have to show anything before you get it. Just hear the call and go to Christ. In fact, we offend God in his great mercy if we think we have to offer something to him before he will save us in Christ his son. Imagine that you were in a hospital and a nurse came by and asked for, you asked for help with something and you said please help me and I'll give you twenty dollars I think the nurse would say why do you want to give me the twenty dollars do you think I won't help you otherwise I, that's what I do I'm that's what I do I help people she's actually offended because you're offering her money 
suggesting that otherwise she won't help you. In a similar fashion, we offend God when we offer him good works to make him willing to make us right with him. Lord, I gave up this for you, and I did this good deed for you, and I contributed to that good cause. Would you please accept me now and forgive my sins? You actually offend the God of all grace that way, and you imply that he will not give you what Christ has accomplished for you unless you first appease him in some way with something good. Congregation, the sooner you accept that everything you do to try to appease God is imperfect and useless for making things right with Him, the better it is. Not a single thing is needed, required. The sooner you realize that and simply embrace Jesus Christ in faith, the better. Sure, we need to pray in faith for His grace, but not somehow to appease Him. No, we pray to exercise our faith, to strengthen our faith in his willingness to accept us in Christ without any conditions. And that faith also has to come from God. As we confess Lord's Day 25, the, the, the next one, faith comes from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and who strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. It all comes from him. And that's why we Hear the word and celebrate the Lord's Supper this afternoon too so that the Spirit can confirm to us that Jesus Christ and Him alone is our righteousness before God and we should not seek anything outside of Him for our righteousness before God. We come to the second part. Good works are certainly fruit of being made righteous before God. So they're not a condition but they are a fruit. Congregation, the third question of Lord's Day 24, you realize, was another question that Rome would throw at the Reformers. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? If our good works don't contribute anything to our being made righteous with God, why bother doing good works then at all? Won't that teaching make people careless about their walk of life? Isn't it just too easy if you don't actually need to do anything to appease God and to make yourself right with Him, even a little bit, if you don't need to do some penitence or show extra zeal for His kingdom and church or live a better life, if you don't need to do those things first, doesn't that make it too easy? In fact, aren't you encouraging a careless and sinful life if you teach that there are no conditions to being made right with God, no good deeds on your part? No, no, says Answer 64, because it's impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. And congregation, that's because Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, as we remember to this afternoon, but he also rose victoriously from the dead in order to give us new life in order to empower those he makes right with God to live more and more to God's glory according to his will. He covers all our sins with his perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness, but then he also renews our hearts with his Holy Spirit. And as Savior, he is then not only the white robe which covers our guilt before God, he is also the true vine 
who then renews us, makes us bear fruit to God's glory, as we read in John 15. In other words, he first makes us right with God, and then by his Spirit, he also works in us the heartfelt desire to live according to God's will more and more. He motivates us to do good works of love. And that also comes from him. And the thing is then, when you believe, you can't just accept half of what Jesus did for you. Faith is accepting everything. You can't only want him to be your white garment to cover you before God and not want to be the, the true vine who brings you to bear the fruit of good works. You can't accept his satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness and then not only also his Holy Spirit who brings repentance and renewal. You can't just want half of what Jesus has accomplished for you. Because that's not true faith. So there are no good things you need to accomplish first in order to receive Christ. But there are certainly good deeds that need to and will come after you are joined to him by true faith. Because if you think you can receive Christ's forgiveness of your sins and just keep on living in a sin at the same time, you are misleading yourself. You, can't, you can want to go to heaven in the future, but if you don't want to grow in living in love for God in this life, you're fooling yourself. Then at the end of your life, you're going to meet Jesus, and he's going to be somebody you don't know. He'll say to you, sorry, I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Congregation, the Jesus who is unconditionally offered to you and me as the complete Savior, and that's a wonderful gospel because that means that zeal for his kingdom and church, doing good deeds of love and so on, are not conditions for his salvation, but they are the beautiful fruit of embracing him in faith. He is the vine that produces those good works in those who are truly joined to him by faith through his Holy Spirit. And notice then that Lord's Day 24 calls those good works fruits of thankfulness. Deep thankfulness that in Christ you are thankful for being made completely right with God. Thankful for his broken body and shed blood which makes a sinner like me right with God. And because of that I want to praise and serve him in gratitude and, and live for him. And what's done out of thankfulness for Christ's salvation are genuine good works then. Because it's through faith in him that Christ produces good works in us. They come from him. And no, they're not perfect works. Not export quality fruit. Because in this life, we remain always people who are inclined to sin. People who con continually have to fight our sinful nature our whole life long. So, even, so that even our best works are also still mixed with wrong motives and selfish purposes and thoughts. But they still glorify God because they come from the true vine, Jesus Christ. He works it in us. And now you might still wonder if that producing 
fruits of thankfulness goes by itself. Eh? Like a, a grapevine naturally produces fruit. But that's not the case either. The Bible not only speaks about the branches producing fruit, it also talks about the, the struggle, the fight of faith. Because as I mentioned before, we remain sinners in this life, inclined to all evil. Sadly, there's never a time in this life when we can say, I believe, and now the production of the fruit of good works will go by itself. No. Belonging to Jesus Christ by faith will always mean that we are going to carry a yoke. Christ also talked about carrying his yoke. And that yoke is the yoke of having to continually struggle against our remaining sins and sinfulness in order to follow Christ. But the Lord also mercifully has given us two things to spur us to good works, to encourage us to good works. In the first place, he has given the, uh, the, the encouragement and admonitions of his word and also the sacraments. If you read the New Testament, especially the letters uh, to the churches, you hear all kinds of those encouragements and admonitions. Think of the, the many let us statements. Let us. For example, Romans 13. Let us cast off the works of darkness. 2 Corinthians 7. Let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and soul. Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary of doing good. And think of statements like Colossians 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, and John Calvin calls these exhortations in the Bible whiplashes for the backs of the lazy donkeys, which are our sinful nature. Our sinful nature is a lazy donkey. And... Calvin calls those passages whips. True believers will thank the Lord for his admonitions and exhortations like that in the word and in the preaching of the word. And then the sacraments, they're also encouragement to producing the fruits of faith. Think of the Lord's Supper where our souls are nourished and refreshed again to live for the Savior. When we see the signs and seals of of what Jesus did for us on the cross, how he gave his body and blood for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And in the second place, the Lord God also encourages us by holding out to us the glorious hope of eternal peace and bliss with him in Christ. He promises to reward our good works with glory and victory. And note as we confess in question and answer 63, we don't earn that reward. It's granted to us. It's a gift of grace. Granted in Christ through his victory for us. He's the one who has won the race for us. But the crown of his victory is held out to us in the Bible as something to encourage us to continue to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3. We read that too. We even have the promise that everything we had to give up in this life for the sake of Christ will be restored to us a thousand times in the life to come. What an encouragement to live for the Lord, even if it costs you a lot.
So let's listen to Jesus Christ's call in word and in Lord's Supper today to abide in him, the true vine. Then we will bear fruit to God's glory. And you know that the branches of the vine that bring forth the most and the best fruit hang the lowest. And that's the way it is with believers. Those who bow down in the greatest humility before God's grace produce the most and the best fruit. And they're the ones who say, all my good works come from you, Lord. Amen.